Well, good morning. And happy Thanksgiving. It is great to have you here, whether you're here with us in the auditorium or joining us over in the venue service in Munsky Hall. My name is Renee, one of the pastors here. And whether you're here for the very first time or the thousandth time, you are super, super welcome. Why don't you grab your message notes that look like this? These are in the bulletins that you were handed when, uh, when you came in. If this is your first weekend here, I think you picked a good one to learn about the values of Twin Lakes Church because this is what we call celebration weekend. We always do this at the end of our fall sermon series every year. This year, for eight weeks, we have been time traveling, if you will, into the forgotten first century world of Jesus Christ, learning about the latest archaeological discoveries and the lost history of the Bible to try to understand the message of Jesus better for our time. Now, next weekend, as Mark said, we start a brand new Christmas series called Christmas Blessings. And the fourth week of that series is going to be our Christmas concert. It's going to be a Celtic concert. It's going to be a ton of fun. But today, since it's Thanksgiving weekend, we are going to be giving thanks to God for what he has been doing through this series. Now, Throughout this series, we've had home groups meeting all around the county and even outside the county, and a lot of you emailed me pictures of your groups. I love to see the variety of people we have studying about Jesus in homes, in larger settings. We had a group at Santa Cruz Skilled Nursing Center, our brothers and sisters in Christ there. We even had a small group in Belize. And I don't even know where Belize is, but we had a small group there. We also had a small group that emailed me from Turkey, and from Germany, and you're going to think I'm joking, but I'm not from Fresno. I kid you not. <laughs> and a lot of you in small groups actually emailed me and wrote a lot of this message. I've just been flooded with communication about what Jesus Christ has done in your life through this study, and I'm going to be sharing some of those in this message. But first, really what I want to do is to take a minute to thank all of our small group leaders. So quick show of hands, if you hosted or led a small group in Jesus' journey, just kind of snake your hand up. Would you raise your hand if you did? Now stand up. Those of you who raised your hand, stand up. I tricked you. Stand up, stand up, you small group leaders. Put your hands together. We need to thank these people for giving up their homes and their time and making this possible. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank some of the amazing people who made uh, the book and the trip possible. What an amazing team we have here. Kelly Welty, our amazing uh, video producer, and Valerie Webb, and uh, Kevin Deutsch, who did the book layouts, Gina Weeks, who organized the whole trip. Amazing team there. And also Rita Winnings, Lee Jilka, Dave Hicks, and Jim Jocelyn organized our small groups. We have amazing, gifted, dedicated people serving here at Twin Lakes Church, and I think we need to show them our thanks, too, because they did an amazing job. I did not do this by myself, right? It's been awesome. Now, I want to take you on one final trip in this series to the Holy Land, because the last and most wonderful episode of the life of Jesus Christ is the resurrection. And if we were in Jerusalem today and we started getting into a conversation about the resurrection, you know where I'd take you? I'd take you down some busy city streets 
in that world-famous city, and I would take you to a place called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. This is a fascinating uh, place. Nowadays, it, it kind of looks cluttered with all kinds of religious stuff that most of us don't understand. There's lots of priests there in strange robes lighting candles. And, and so a lot of visitors just leave unimpressed without realizing that they were probably walking on the very ground where Jesus Christ was crucified and buried. Here is the story that many visitors don't know. Back in Jesus Christ's time, this spot was outside the city walls. And I put some diagrams in your notes so you can understand the evolution of the spot a little bit better. There was a rocky outcropping there outside the walls, a little stone hill left over from a quarry. And the Romans would crucify people on that hill in the first century. And there were several empty tombs cut into the hillside very close by. And this is the spot where the very earliest Christians in the first century believed that Jesus died and then rose again. Now you might ask, well, where is this now? Well, again, referring to that chart there, what happened next was in about 135 AD, only about 100 years after Jesus was crucified, an anti-Christian Caesar literally buried these two locations, actually tried to bury Christianity by eliminating these locations from the map. He built four walls around Calvary and the tomb and filled in those retaining walls with dirt and then put Roman temples on top so that the empty tomb of Jesus was buried under a pagan Roman temple. 200 years later, in the 300s, the now legalized Christians hear the old legends that Christ's tomb is under that statue of Venus, and they decide, let's see what's under there. So they take down the temple, and then the retaining walls, then they remove the fill dirt, and we actually have a written eyewitness account of what happened next. There was a priest in Jerusalem named Eusebius, and he was very skeptical they would find anything. And here's what he wrote. As soon as the original surface of the ground beneath the covering of fill dirt appeared, contrary to all expectation, the monument of our Savior's resurrection was revealed. And then, indeed, the rediscovery of this most holy cave was like his return to life in that after lying buried in darkness, it again emerged to light. Pretty cool, huh? They discovered several first-century tombs under the statue of Venus, and one of them had signs of veneration from the first century, including early Christian graffiti inside of it. I kid you not. They found also old remains of crosses in the rubble. And so historians think that this spot has the highest probability of any place in Jerusalem to be the very place where the crucifixion and burial of Jesus happened. Well, what happened to it next? Well, they actually sliced away the surrounding hillside around what they believed to be the tomb of Christ so that only a box-like slice of the original hill remained with the tomb in it. And then they built a rotunda around it and fancy decorations were built over the tomb. So today, this is what you see, a crusader-era remodel of this building from about a 1,000 years ago. And I find this ironic 
because the tomb of Christ is effectively buried again under all these centuries of accumulated religious decoration. And therefore, people come to this place expecting to see a tomb and a hillside and a garden, and instead they see all this ornamentation that obscures it. Unless you know where to go to travel back into time. And I do. As I told some of you last Easter, uh, you can still see back to what it looked like 2,000 years ago. And uh, when I first went there, I was the only person uh, around in the whole church. When our group went there later, it got very crowded. But when I first went there, I was all alone. And it, it was a little spooky. I felt a little Indiana Jonesy because I'm walking through this Crusader-era church, and I went following a guidebook through the rotunda, and then behind some pillars, there's no sign telling you where to go, and then through an abandoned, burned-out chapel behind one of the pillars, and then through an inconspicuous, unmarked door, and then through another old chapel, where through a tiny hole in the wall about this height, you can crawl in and see some of the original first century tombs. And then when I was down there, a giant rolling boulder came and I chased me down the hallway. I had to jump over a pit of snakes. Why is it always snakes? I don't know. No, that didn't happen. What really happened was this. You can really see the early first century tombs that were in part of the hillside that didn't get cut away next to the church underneath all the glitz of this medieval church building you can still find the earthy gritty dark actual caves from the time of Christ and that's kind of what I want to do today with the story of the resurrection as we wrap up this series I want to strip away all the ornamentation that has accumulated over the years and go back to the original tomb back to the very earliest witnesses that we have of what happened, and those are the four Gospels. So this morning, let's try to experience what happened as if it's absolutely brand new, a total surprise. And I want to start by reading you the story from Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And now you know kind of what it looked like. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. In other words, they passed out. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings. He said, they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And let me just stop and ask here, doesn't Jesus seem just a little bit understated here, right? The word used there for greetings in English, this sounds very formal, like greetings, 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 earthling. You know, who says that? Greetings. 
But literally, this is just the very common, informal way that somebody in those days would say, hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going? This is literally that formal of a greeting. And I love to picture this. These women are devastated. They come to the tomb. The stone is gone. There's an angel. All of a sudden, Jesus, who they saw dead and buried, is standing in front of them alive. And you wonder what profound thing, what amazing statement, what golden utterance is he going to give now that he's been resurrected? And he goes, what's happened, ladies? I love this. Because there's a playfulness to the risen Christ that's just, that's just awesome, you know? Dale Bruner, a great New Testament scholar, writes about telling this story in a children's sermon one day in church. So he has all these kids surrounding him on the steps of the church. And he asks these kids the question, children, what were, who knows what were Jesus Christ's very first words to the disciples after he was raised from the dead? And a little girl raises her hand, I know, I know. And he says, yes, Mary. And she says, ta-da! <laughs> and that's really it. Because when you're raised from the dead, you don't need to say much else. Ta-da, right? The resurrection is the ultimate vindication. The resurrection means that everything Jesus has already been saying about faith, about love, about God, about forgiveness, about purpose, about what God values, it's all true. Ta-da! It's kind of like saying, told you. And then in verse 10, then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And this is so cool. I, I love the way that John Ortberg puts it. Up until now, Jesus calls his disciples disciples and servants and even friends. But now for the first time, he calls them my brothers. Now, this is important because you remember we talked about this last week. Last time they were with him, last time they saw him was when he got arrested and then when he was being whipped and tortured and crucified. And what did they all do? They all deserted him. And so you can imagine how they felt about themselves. Their words for themselves are, Failure, loser, coward. And Jesus says, let me tell you my words for you. My brothers. Praise God. This is a new label that he's giving them, a new identity. And it's not based on their performance. Their performance was really bad. This is a gift of grace. And this is how Jesus rolls uh, one woman in a Jesus Journey small group told me, I keep hearing the not worthy voice in my head. Can you relate to this? You're not worthy to be here in church. You're not worthy to call yourself a Christian. You're not worthy to be forgiven. Then I saw that Jesus keeps choosing the unworthy even when they keep being unworthy. He says, my brothers. Now, one thing I want to point out here that gets missed is that in all four Gospels, the task of being the first witnesses of the resurrection is given to who? What gender? Women, that's right. And this is Jesus again going to the outcast. 
because in the ancient world, and particularly in ancient Israel, women were not trusted. They weren't even allowed to serve as witnesses in a court of law. Their testimony was not valid. You could murder someone, and a hundred women could see you do it. But if a man didn't see you, they could not convict you because a woman's testimony wasn't seen as valid. And we see a little bit of this dynamic in the Gospel of Luke, the parallel passage to this in Matthew 28. Notice this, Luke 24. The women go to the disciples, as Jesus said to, tell them about Jesus, Luke 24, 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Can you imagine men being dismissive and patronizing to a group of women? I know it's hard to believe. But 2,000 years ago, that actually happened. It's ancient history now, of course. But then the, the women must have felt very satisfied when Jesus appears to the male disciples and basically goes, ta-da, and sends them on an assignment just like the women. Now, John was there, and he heard Jesus say, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, don't miss this. It's interesting because Jesus does this in every single one of his resurrection appearances. He actually does not appear to people and say, now all your troubles are over. Jesus does not say, let's all go to heaven now and have a great big party. He does not say, thank God the hard part's over. What he essentially says is, and now It's your turn to die. Your turn to take up your cross. You see, Jerusalem Jerusalem hadn't changed from three days before. It was still a hotbed. It was still a very dangerous place. The, The enemies of Christ had just killed Jesus in this city three days before, and now they were going to start going after the disciples. And Jesus is basically saying here, your turn. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you, and you know what happened to me, and that's going to happen to you. But when that happens to you, remember what happened to me. When they kill you, resurrection like mine is ahead for you too. And you know what happens? These cowardly disciples rocket out of that room, and they are not afraid of a thing anymore. They go turn the world upside down, and no one can shut them up. How do you explain that change? That's the so what on page two of your notes. Jesus' resurrection changes me when I believe three things about it. The disciples, to the marrow of their bones, believe these three things about the resurrection of Jesus in the face of danger, in the face of stress, in the face of calamity, in the face of opposition, they were unstoppable. And if you believe these three things, you will turn into a world changer too. And I can't think of a better way to end our Jesus journey together, but to talk about kind of how the disciples' Jesus journey took a turn as well when Jesus Christ was resurrected. So jot these down. Number one, I need to believe it happened. Believe it really happened. And I hope the Jesus Journey series has strengthened your sense of the historicity of Christ, that he was real, that, that, you know, he had real feet that walked on real streets that you can still see today. You can say those are the stairs he walked on. That's the street he walked on. That's the lake he sailed on. There's a historicity to the story of Christ. It's not just a fable. 
And Christians believe the most important thing that happened was this. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture says. Now, why did this all happen? Paul says it all happened for our sins, for your sin and for my sin. Jesus didn't make that cosmic journey down to earth just to be a tourist. He came for your sin. A woman wrote to me in an email, I have learned in this study how deliberate and careful and loving our Jesus is. It's overwhelming and wonderful, and I want to cry and laugh and jump up and down all at the same time. I love this. When I read this email, I almost did these same things. I just felt like crying because listen to what she says next. She says, what really pierced me was picturing my worst sin, the one that I keep trying to make right and never can, the one I'm most ashamed of, and then writing out paid in full next to it because Jesus paid that price and then yelled out, it is finished. She says, I actually wrote it out and put it in my room to remind me every day, paid in full next to my sin, on top of it, blotting it out, erasing it from my worldview. Too long have I accused myself. No longer I finally experienced that God doesn't see that when he looks at me for the first time. That's always been available to me. I just couldn't receive it before. I can't even describe the sense of freedom. My prayer for myself has always been, please, God, let me feel that joy that you promised us. I've had no idea how to get there. Well, here it is. The shame of my sins no longer defines me, and I feel it. I know it to be true. Now that makes me a new person. Now I can enjoy being who I am. In fact, from there, I can enjoy everything and everyone. Wow! Don't you love this? Can you say amen to this? It's awesome. I'm stoked because I've been there myself. And you know what? I read this and I thought, it is time for us to cry and laugh and jump up and down too in response to this. I want to have a time of worship as part of the sermon. I want to ask the band to come back on stage, and we're going to sing some songs in response to each one of these final three points. And I want you to let these moments be times between you and Jesus, times of decision. Here's another email. A man wrote me, the best part of my journey has been accepting Jesus into my heart. Renee, I'm looking forward to the celebration of the 40 days in the footsteps of Christ, but my Jesus journey is just beginning, and it can begin for you too. Why don't you get to your feet? Let's all stand together. As we get ready to sing a song about Jesus paying for your sins in full, you may have been a long way away from God for a long, long time. You may have done things that you're not proud of, but Jesus is saying to you now, I came to seek and save you. So this would be a wonderful time to say, Jesus, I come home to you right now. So as the band begins to play, and as we set our hearts in tune with Jesus and just say, Jesus, thank you so much for paying for my sins in full. 
say thank you to him and maybe for the first time say jesus count me in thank you for what you have done for me through me and in me by your journey to our planet let's raise our voices and sing together The Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid all, all to him I owe. Sin had left. And stain, he was He 
son, Jesus paid it all. Lift your voice. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated, but not for long, because we're going to pop to our feet again after the second point. The first point was believe it happened. It really happened. Jesus lived and died and rose again for you. And then the second way that Christ's life and death and resurrection changes me is when I believe it is happening. That's right. Believe it is happening. And this is a point that sometimes escapes Believers. It's not just something that happened to a guy 2,000 years ago. Jesus is alive and guiding and loving and forgiving and empowering you right now. Also in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now the resurrection from the dead has begun. Jesus started something with his resurrection. His resurrection starts in that grave, but then it moves to our hearts where he renews our lives and gives us power to live every day. In Ephesians, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You know, this is one of the reasons that our small groups weren't just like book clubs and studied a book. They were actually teams that went out into the community. And why? Because we wanted people to get out of their comfort zones a little bit so they could begin to sense the power of Christ working in them. Uh, it was wonderful to see one of the groups went to Second Harvest Food Bank and volunteered as food sorters, being the hands and feet of Christ there. Uh, Others went out with a lot of other teams on Serve the Bay Day and had fun doing projects all over the county at the River Street Shelter, at schools, at parks, at the Homeless Garden Project. And it wasn't just the adults. You might remember Travis Busey, the little uh, paper kite boy from last year. Well, this year, he and his mom made little refrigerator magnets. And again, he went out and sold them door to door. His mom said, I just stayed on the sidewalk and let Travis go and knock on the doors to raise money for the food drive. This has just captured Travis's heart. He's just seven years old now. He doesn't have any money. And his own personal goal was to surpass the $680 he made last year from selling the paper kites door to door. And he just told me last night that he has raised $700. And so he achieved his goal. Isn't that wonderful? And, uh, I don't even have time to tell you all the stories. Uh, Many of the very youngest CK kids, Sunday school kids here, have been saving their pennies for weeks for the food drive. And look at that pride there, right? And this weekend, they're bringing them in. And even grown-ups got involved. Brian and Kevin Duick, who own Yogurtland, for example, gave all their proceeds last Wednesday afternoon, 100% of them, to the food drive. It was just a party down there. But I, I point all this out, what all these different small groups and individuals were doing, not to say, don't we have a hot church that goes out into the community? As a pastor, how this moves me is that you are showing the love of Christ to our community. And when people rub up against you, when you're out there 
raising food or funds for the food drive, or when you're out there serving at the community garden project or the homeless shelter, what they are sensing in you, though they may not be able to put this label on it yet, is the love and the power and the grace of the risen Lord Jesus Christ working in you and through you, and redemptive relationships and conversations begin, and people's lives are changed as they're brought into the community of Christ, because you're just not just out there doing this in your own strength. You're doing it because the mighty power of God is working in you now. It is happening. And His mighty power doesn't just empower you to serve, it also is present walking alongside of you. Um, Before we sing again, one more email. I love this. A woman wrote to me, I can be defined as an angry geezer chick. I don't know why my wife refers to herself this way, but still. No, that's not true. It's not my wife. But she says, I can be defined as an angry geezer chick. Angry at rigid negative Christianity. Angry at my fundamentalist family. The angry list goes on and on. But I discovered... The Jesus journey is not an angry, short, chubby woman's journey, a politically correct tourist's journey, a liberated, progressive female's journey, a relevant, hip, fun grandma's journey. It's Jesus's journey. In other words, it's not about me. And for me, the journey has become about trusting to walk with Jesus. 50 years of anti-church anger, I walked alone. The Jesus journey made me realize the need to walk with him and other Christians. I'm so tired of being angry. Now I'm hiking the Jesus journey by not looking left or right at others. I'm keeping my eyes on him. And that is awesome. See, I don't know what you're facing, maybe deep down, long-lasting anger like her, or maybe a broken relationship, or maybe an addiction, or stress and despair, financial troubles, a bad diagnosis from the doctor, maybe all of the above. But the risen Jesus is here now, and he is stronger and bigger than all those things. Why don't you get on your feet again here? You're going to get your exercise today. Because Jesus said, wherever two or three or more are gathered together, there I am with them. The Bible says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. That is the truth that sets you free. And as the band band begins to play again for us, I, I just pray that you would focus on the fact that the risen Savior Jesus didn't just live 2,000 years ago. He's here now, and he is stronger than anything you could possibly face in this world. Think about what you face and then put these lyrics to it. Let's sing. There is love that came for us Humble to a sinner's cross Broke the shame and sinfulness You rose again victorious
Amen. All right, one more brief sit down, both here and in the auditorium and in venue. I really appreciate everybody in venue too participating with this. But I want you to kind of get physically involved in this because this is a very physical thing. Jesus Christ physically rose from the dead. Believe it happened. He is really here with you right now, empowering you, whatever you're facing. Believe it is happening. And finally, believe it will happen. You will physically be resurrected from the dead. Again, from 1 Corinthians 15, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. Your resurrection will happen, and he will return. In the book of Acts, the disciples see Jesus ascend to heaven 40 days after his resurrection, and angels appear to them and say, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus will return, and we're all going to get a chance to see him like the disciples saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. We talked about that in this series, too. In fact, one email, somebody wrote, I had a mountaintop experience while reading about the Transfiguration up on the mountaintop thinking that is the Jesus that I will see. I was deeply moved as I read, he will not always be the lamb. One day he will return as a lion. And I loved reading how when he's an old man, the apostle John sees Jesus in a vision, and John describes it. Jesus' face was like the shining sun, and I fell at his feet and maybe it's because I'm living in the last couple of decades of my life, but when I read what Jesus says to the elderly, John, tears filled my eyes. John writes, then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. Even as I write this, I get all emotional again. Jesus came as the lamb, returns as the lion, and says to you and to me, do not be afraid. I... My biggest prayer in this series is that you've been intrigued, entranced, enchanted with the enigmatic and charismatic and magnetic person of Jesus Christ, who lived, who lives still, and who is coming again. Because a pursuit of that amazing person will just hold you in check like a tractor beam if you allow yourself to really fall in love with the, the beauty and the power and the majesty and the grace and the love of Jesus. And so I want to kind of wrap up this sermon by having us sing a song that's all about the beauty of this person that we've been studying. So once again, whether you're over in venue or here in the auditorium, would you get to your feet and let's sing about the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the pre-incarnate Christ up in the heavens, the creator of the cosmos, the beauty of the Christ who died on the cross for us and rose again, and the beauty of the Christ who is returning. Think of that as you sing this song together. Sunrise, the colors of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look into the sky and say, You're beautiful. 
crucified Lord is risen from the dead and he sits at the right hand of God but he is coming back he's going to return he's going to restore us and restore this world and we'll stand before him and we'll be able to say these words I see your face your beauty you're beautiful, you're beautiful. I see your face, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Lord, thank you so much for your beauty, your power, your majesty, your love, and your grace. You are beautiful. And help us to always love you and worship you, follow you, and make you our Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, man, I've enjoyed this so much. I, I, I really don't want it to end. But uh, in just a moment, we're going to be taking our, uh, our offering. Remember, this is the day that we take the offering for the, the food drive. If you'd like to contribute to that, you can mark it on the memo of your check or use the envelope that's there in your bulletins. But before we do that, and before we sing a final song that's sort of become a theme song for this, I want to pray a prayer that uh, somebody actually emailed to me from one of the groups. And he said, this, this prayer encapsulates uh, what I have come to love and to know and understand about Jesus. And I couldn't think of a better way to end this series. So bow with me in a word of prayer as I pray this beautiful prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, being a, a real man, and living through the ups and downs of daily life. I now know you understand my pain. I now know you will meet me where I am and encourage me to move forward. Thank you for my new understanding of grace that nothing I mess up will make you love me less. Thank you that there's always something new to learn from the stories you told 2,000 years ago. I want to go on learning new things about you every day, Lord, and never be done with my Jesus journey. Thank you for loving me. In your name I pray, amen.